It's January 15, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we cover the geek beat here on Hawaii Public Radio. First, we'll look at the latest tech news and happenings in Hawaii and beyond. And joining us is Peter Justison and, oh, no, uh, Gabe's not making it to <laughs> the show today. And he's here to tell us about the Global Game Jam. Finally, we'll look ahead to the upcoming 2014 legislative session. What bills are in the works relating to science and technology? Will lawmakers revisit programs for startups and accelerators in the Aloha State? We'd, of course, love your questions and suggestions ready to call in or tweet. But first, the headlines. Well, it was a very special delivery on Sunday at the International Space Station. After a month of delays, a privately launched spacecraft docked with the station to transfer much-needed supplies from 3,000 pounds of groceries to belated Christmas gifts. Also on board were dozens of pieces of equipment and self-contained space science experiments. Among, uh, and among them was a science project by Big Island 7th grader Josh Ibesugawa, a student at Waikia Intermediate who is studying ways to grow food in space. Ibesugawa's experiment was selected from nearly 1,500 applicants spread across the country. His project was among nearly two dozen student experiments brought aboard this weekend. His hope is to compare how soybeans grow in space compared to a matching set of plants at his home in Hilo. The delivery was a major milestone for the International Space Station, marking only the second private resupply mission. The supply ship, the Cygnus, was built and launched by Orbital Sciences Corporation and connecting with the space station involved joint coordination among crews in Virginia, Texas, and Japan. The two spacecraft traveling together at over 17,000 miles per hour were pulled together uh, gently by a giant robotic arm while they delivered uh, was scheduled to take much longer than it did. The, the six astronauts aboard the space station worked quickly to open the capsule a day early. With the end of the space shuttle program, NASA will have to depend on private industry to get much of its space work done. These resupply missions are a precursor to manned spacecraft launches to deliver astronauts to the space station. Uh, you know, it's interesting that um, out of the something like 2,000 experiments that were proposed, 23 student experiments were picked. And it's quite impressive that uh, um, Ibesugawa's experiment to look at the growth patterns of of soybeans, uh, you know, taking place in space. Right, and uh, this delivery was a long time in coming, delayed first by uh, weather and then by uh, an emergency in another space uh, installation and finally um, through a, by a solar storm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, was a, mm-hmm. it was a perfect storm of reasons why the, this, this rocket could not take off, but they did get the delivery. They said the first thing off was a package of ants. And I guess that's also part of a science experiment. They got fresh fruits from NASA. But really, again, it is about the uh, transition to privately operated space deliveries. In fact, although this was the second one by this group, it was the first official one on a schedule. The one that was done in, in October was still kind of part of the trial and test process. Mm-hmm. This one was scheduled, and there's more scheduled because, again, without the space shuttle, they need other ways to supply the station. And, and you know, we, had the, uh, we had the Girl Scouts on who had another experiment that was up on the uh, space station to also look at the growth of, of plants. And I think there's a ongoing interest in, in looking at how to supply sort of grown food in right. space. And of course, there's the the, the high seas project to talk mm-hmm. about long-term um, space exploration and foods there. Although this rocket sounded pretty impressive and I was researching it, but unfortunately it doesn't have a very happy end. They After it docks with the space station, they load it up with garbage and then jettison it and it just burns up over the ocean. 
That's the that's the, the re- end of this multi <laughs> this very expensive. Uh, uh, I guess that's the it's a closed cycle. You know, I mean, you know, if you want to get rid of trash, I mean, that's probably a pretty decent way of doing it. Yeah, as long as none of those uh, maybe somebody tried to slip one of their ugly sweaters for Christmas into it and it lands on someone's house, but that's probably unlikely. In other space news, a researcher at the UH Institute for Astronomy is credited with capturing the first image of a normal galaxy in the early universe. Regina Jorgensen, a postdoctoral fellow at the institute, worked with a colleague at the university. Of California, San Diego. Their findings were reported last week at the winter meeting of the American Astronomical Society in Washington, D.C. They used the advanced technologies of the Keck Observatory on Mauna Kea to create the first spatially resolved image of a galaxy of this type. Well, these normal galaxies contain most of the neutral gas that is needed for star formation, but while their existence was known over 30 years ago, they are difficult to observe directly, virtually invisible at all but a few specific wavelengths. The researchers said that these galaxies are extraordinary for being ordinary, representing typical galaxies rather than the bright brightest, most active, most visible star-forming galaxies typically observed in these deep regions of space. This particular galaxy, in fact, was detected not only by its own light, but by how it absorbed the light of an even more distant quasar. Located at a redshift of 2.35, it corresponds to a time when the universe was about 20% of its current age, about 10.8 billion years ago. Jorgensen said in a statement, This normalcy makes them nearly impossible to detect directly from the light they give off because, first, that emission is relatively weak, and second, the bright background quasar used to find the galaxy hampers the detection of fainter foreground emissions from the galaxy itself. Well, you know, um, when they say normalcy, I'm 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 kind of curious how astronomers uh, really quantify what normalcy is, given that they're looking deep, 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 you know, into space. And usually, when you're looking at uh, those kinds of, I guess, uh, objects, quasars are, are are kind of a normal object. But to see something as they describe as normal. I mean, I'm kind of wondering, is it normal like the Milky Way? It reminds me of kind of the discussion of dark matter, which is because of other measurements, we know that there is this pervasive material that's out there. It just can't be directly observed. And I think that when they're talking about these early galaxies that are the progenitors of galaxies like the Milky Way, they might be very common, but they're not very bright. And I liked how they described specifically that astronomy does seem to focus on the biggest explosions and the biggest supernovas and the most unique or active um, star systems. So, in fact, this, these background normal galaxies normally don't get picked up. Right, at right, all. right. And they're, you know, they're actually uh, observing these sort of indirectly, too. So it's uh, not, you know, sort of the brightest thing in the sky. Absolutely. Well, next up, the Hawaii Natural Energy Institute yesterday reported solid progress in its ongoing energy efficiency and solar research, pointing to the successful installation of six solar photovoltaic arrays and the construction of three net-zero energy buildings across the state. The PV arrays and solar-powered classroom buildings are located at two Hawaii schools, two buildings at Kauai Kini and New Century Public Charter School in Lihui on Kauai and one in Eva Beach here on Oahu at Ilima Intermediate School. The two locations are among three planned test sites for the pre-engineered renewable energy-powered 1,200-square-foot structures designed by San Francisco-based Project Frog. The classroom buildings at Ilima Intermediate already produce more energy than they use. The Institute is comparing the locations on Kauai and Oahu to determine the impact of the relatively small differences in climate. They are also evaluating different kinds of inverter installations and three types of PV panels. 
Well, each of the installations is equipped with a data collection system that allows university researchers to remotely collect data for detailed comparative analysis. The data includes energy use as well as building comfort, including temperature, humidity, CO2 levels, and lighting levels, fan speeds, and air conditioning use. Institute Director Richard Rochelot said in a statement, this uh, important assignment is part of a larger research project or program to evaluate energy technologies for the Office of Naval Research that includes a range of efficiency, storage, and renewable energy systems. You know, I was looking at uh, some of the pictures of uh, these buildings, and of course, uh, Project Frog is is well known for not only their energy efficiency designs, but uh, just kind of a, a contemporary design. Right, very in striking. Yeah. And so yeah. I kind of like the idea that you know you get the idea that uh, oh, we would like to make give you some classroom buildings. They're pre-engineered. You just put them together, and they'll sit on your campus, and they're energy they're, they're energy net zero. They won't require any energy because they power themselves. And you're thinking we're well, going to get a square box mm-hmm. with a bunch of panels on the roof, mm-hmm. but no. I mean, they are they they do they do look very modern. I thought that this report card was interesting because we've actually been covering these installations previously last year, but it's good to see that it's a success that at least um, one of these installations is, in fact, generating a surplus of energy. And you can see a distant future, perhaps, where, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in this case for schools, that they might even be net zero campuses. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious to see if there's going to be more of these projects. Uh, It looks like they just sort of funded uh, a a few of these, but uh, it would be kind of cool to see more of these pop up. Absolutely. UH Manoa researchers have demonstrated that a commercially available FDA-approved detection kit for the dengue virus is a better test than the former gold standard laboratory test because it produces results in under five hours. A study conducted at the John A. Burns School of Medicine sought to evaluate the use of the dengue IgM ELISA virus test kit from Seattle-based InBios for rapid diagnosis of dengue virus detection. The previous method of detection took three to five days. Well, the dengue virus is spread by mosquito bites, and symptoms range from mild fever to severe hemorrhage and shock. Hawaii was hit with dengue virus outbreak in 2001, and with about uh, 153 cases reported, and a smaller outbreak in 2011 with four cases. Worldwide, about 2.5 billion people, or 40% of the world's population, live in areas where there is a risk of dengue transmission. The disease is endemic in at least 100 countries, with about 100 million cases estimated worldwide each year, and 22,000 deaths, most of them children. To conduct their test, UH researchers worked with 79 clinical serum samples collected from Hawaii, Singapore, American Samoa, and Niue, where dengue viruses have occurred in the past. The off-the-shelf kits' uh, agreement, sensitivity, and specificity compared to the lab tests were 94, 92, and 94%, respectively. In its announcement last week, UH officials said that early diagnosis of dengue virus infections are critical to prevent them from escalating into severe cases and are also key to prevent the spread of the infection by identifying them much earlier in their development. Well, I guess this is uh, this has been supported by grants from the uh, National Institute of Health and the Department of Defense. What's interesting is that you know there seems to be continued work on coming up with uh, you know these sort of dengue virus test kits. Um, I know local company Oceanet had a dengue, um, right. uh, let's say, test kit as well. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of uh, interested in the fact that you know this is still ongoing commercial activity 
to develop these kinds of uh, solutions. Well, I think that it's you know it's neat. I mean, here in Hawaii, our last outbreak had four cases, and you're thinking, why is all this investment happening? But those numbers that you mentioned are are key. That uh, it is very widespread, and it is you know certainly fatal to a lot of children in a lot of these areas, and that's why the Department of Defense is interested. I would imagine, given their deployments in lots of these areas as well. Uh, it, it's it's it was also interesting to to know that you know dengue virus wasn't really a widespread thing; that it only became a widespread thing in the middle of the 20th century when, of course, air travel and global mm-hmm, transport mm-hmm. became a thing. That before it was, oh, this is maybe South America or Africa. Yeah, you know, and, and Southeast Asia is probably where dengue is, is much more uh, frequent. And I think uh, even in some of the um, Pacific Islands. But luckily, there's not a whole lot happening here with dengue dengue fever. Yeah, and I like that there is now off-the-shelf FDA-approved kits that you can get rather than having to rely on a, a specific laboratory. Mm-hmm. Well, here's a couple of items uh, on the tech calendar we wanted to share with you. Tomorrow on the Big Island, the Natural Energy Lab of Hawaii Authority is hosting its monthly brown bag presentation. Nelha staffer Keith Olson will lead a brainstorming session to develop internship projects for high school and college students. Bring your lunch and ideas to Nelha, located north of Kailua Kona. For more information, you can visit Nelha, N-E-L-H-A dot Hawaii dot gov. And in two weeks, uh, the monthly Wetware Wednesday networking mixer for software developers returns. Presentations include how to get funding from sponsor Arsenal Venture Partners and startup pitches in the healthcare arena from Honolulu New Tech Meetup members and Punahou School. That's at 6 p.m. on Wednesday, January 29th at the Fix Sports Lounge and Nightclub downtown. For more information, you can go to htdc.org. And, of course, now joining us here in the studio is Peter Justice-Sin, and he's here to tell us about the upcoming Global Game Jam. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, Bert. Thanks for having me. Now, you know, you uh, we've been inviting you several times now because the Global mm-hmm. Game Jam has been going on for uh, a couple of years. I mean— yeah, This is the fourth year. Yeah, so fourth year, and I think— uh, each year, you've been kind of doing it at different places, and, and, and this year is going to be over at, at Iolani. I mean, has, yeah. the, has the content of the Global Game Jam changed? Mostly no. The Global Game Jam is still essentially an event where you come down over the course of a weekend, form teams with other people, mm-hmm. and create a game in 48 hours. So that actually hasn't changed. Uh, what has changed is that we're partnering with the Alliance Schools this time to hold it in their new Sullivan Center for Innovation and Leadership, which is really exciting because mm-hmm. it is a $23 million, just incredible state-of-the-art like tech playground. Uh, has all these like great technologies at people's disposal. It, it's all for their new uh, iDepartment initiative, and this includes a game development course. And, right, uh, and that's what that's what Gabe is kind of involved in, right? Yeah, yeah. Gabe Yanagihara mm-hmm. is teaching that course, uh, and it's uh, teaching kids how to make games as a vehicle for teaching them math, programming, teamwork, leadership, entrepreneurship. And uh, it's just really exciting to have that sort of interest in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard, like, a lot of people sort of, like, talking about it and, like, wanting to do it, but then... Uh, Iolani is definitely the biggest one that I've seen so far. Commit to so, it. Yeah, commit to it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people might be saying, well, it's not like, why would I want my child, my student, to be spending more time on video games? But you kind of, I think, outlined <laughs> why that would be. I mean, you, it, it sounds a little bit like Startup Weekend, where you want to do a startup business in three days, or and of course, many of those are apps. And in this case, it's creating a game in three days. So why specifically uh, is gaming kind of a, a, a gateway to bigger and better things for these students? Well, a lot of people still have this 
idea of games as like if you're making games, it means you're playing them all day, which is kind of akin to thinking that a movie director watches movies all day. Mm. They're actually completely different things, and they involve a lot of uh, production of you know computer code and art assets, both of which can become very complicated and involves sort of uh, playtesting, getting your product in front of people and liking uh, focus groups and feedback about like what actually goes into it. And like all this time you're working in teams and you're managing your business. And so it's a really good uh, way of just learning all those skills. And also, especially now with the App Store, it's a lot easier to sort of just publish something and then now, boom, you have a business that's making money. Well, you know, a lot of people, I think, rightfully make that comparison um, when we talk about uh, games as kind of platforms for creativity. You know, a movie director might be doing a lot of work, but he's basically telling a single story. A game developer has to create an environment where there could be a million different stories and it can still be cohesive and still be interesting to mm-hmm. the people who played them, for example. From um, past Global Game Jams, how, how, what sort of games do, do participants come up with? They come up with all kinds of games. The idea is actually we give you a base uh, sort of like an idea or something to go off of. Mm. Last year it was Heartbeat. And so different people, one person made this adventure game story about uh, a goblin who was protecting a queen and was always like checking for a heartbeat to make sure she was okay. And that ended up being like really involving and affecting for everyone around them. And then there's another one where it was sort of you're going through a person's body to like protect their heart, uh, mm. and it was sort of like uh, it was sort of like a shooting game, but you were shooting at like viruses. diseases. Sure. Uh, another group did like you were walking around. It looked like a ghost town. And I think you were checking for like people's heartbeats. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> have you have you seen anything that got started at? the global game jam and actually kind of evolved into a, a finished product? There have been some. I don't remember a lot of the. I guess one of the big ones uh, from over in Copenhagen was Johann Sebastian Joust, which was uh, this really fascinating sort of, uh, I think it was like a game where they used hacked Wiimotes and the idea was you hold yours and you have to, like, attack the other persons. And it was physical. Like, you're mm. actually holding these things. It's not like your characters on the screen are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that ended up, like, going on and on until it eventually became a full product. Mm. Well, definitely and, we're seeing a lot more games that involve more motion than sitting on your couch or at your desk. So. Yes. And then I guess uh, you don't really have to have, uh, say, game experience or game theory. Uh, and you don't no, even have actually, that programming experience, right? I mean, if you wanted to come right. and develop a board game you could do that too yeah uh we we support like people making card games or board games or like any sort of other games that they can think of it doesn't have to be a video game and part of this allows people so that if you don't know anything about game development you just know you want to give it a shot Mm -hmm. you can Mm -hmm. come down we're going to have game developers like myself on hand to help you through the process and you like all you need really is just the enthusiasm and willingness to make something so where and where, uh, right? when and can people participate? So this is going to happen on Friday, January 24th, starting at 6.30, and it's going to run throughout the weekend. Sounds great. And for more information, you can go to igdahonolulu.org. We'll IGDA Honolulu. Yep. Sounds good. Thanks, Peter. Thank you very much. And that's what's been happening this week. We'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Senator Glenn Wakai, Carl Fuchs, and 
Lin Higashi from HTDC, and we're going to be talking about tech policy at the legislative session. How can you help support these bills as they move through the session? We'd, of course, love your thoughts or questions as part of the conversation, so please give us a call, 941-3689, or toll-free from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. And, of course, we're monitoring Twitter live here in the studio, so you can tweet us at ByteMarks or at Hawaii. This is ByteMarks Cafe. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Alan Kaufman, author of Drunken Angel. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about searching for my mother's past. Sunday morning at 11. Pop jazz vocalist Dana Land and her band transformed the Atherton into a paradise when they debuted Tropicabana, a musical romp through the tropics. The evening is a musical journey from Jobim to Sinatra with some comedy and surprise guests along the way. Saturday, January 25th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets at 955-8821 during business hours or online at hprtickets.org. And welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And joining us today is Senator Glenn Wakai and uh, Lynn Higashi, as well as Carl Fuchs. Uh, Senator Wakai is the Hawaii senator, um, and he's the chairman of the Technology and Arts Committee. Carl heads up the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation. Len is the interim executive director of the High Tech Development Center. Both of them are key advocates for Hawaii's tech initiative. And, of course, what are some of those key initiatives that we should sort of keep our eyes on? And we'd love to hear your questions and comments. And the number to call here is 941-3689 on Oahu or 1-877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And uh, Senator, Kawhi, <laughs> Senator Wakai, Carl and Len, we want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Great to be here. Thank you. Happy New Year. Aloha. Now, Senator Wakai, uh, you know, you've... Uh, chaired the Technology and Arts Committee for the uh, last couple of years, and uh, maybe you can give us some some of your perspective on what were some of the highlights of the 2013 legislative session. Well, I think that last legislative session, we passed more positive technology bills than we had in the previous 10 years. I mean, the previous big monster that we got moving was Act 221, but mm. it's really been dormant for a long time since that legislation got passed, and uh, right off the top of my head, the three big ones I can remember passing last year were open data. Mm-hmm. I mean, thanks to you and Ryan uh, pushing that through. And that was really a, a groundswell of support from the grassroots that showed that, you know, you, your voice is meaningful there. And without open data, unless we have the information, we can't measure how successful or unsuccessful gov- government is. So that was a real game changer to really keep government accountable to the people. Uh, one of the other issues that um, or bills that we passed last year, which is important, is the uh, need for us to have uh, more fiber optic cable landings here in Hawaii. We dropped $20 million to do that because on the horizon, unless we get more cable landings, we're supposed to tap out of our capacity for broadband in 2015. So in preparation to make sure that you know our phones work as quickly as they possibly can, we need to provide more broadband capacity for the state. And um, we 
took care of that uh, through at least appropriation. Of course, we have to get the f- folks who are going to drop the cables mm-hmm. here, but at least we are prepared um, to accept those cables, cable landings in our future. And thirdly, um, and the real diamond of the last legislative session on the technology front was the high growth initiative and how we finally, although we asked for $10 million initially, got $6 million, but that's nothing to sneeze at, um, and given it to Carl Fuchs and his his uh, staff over at uh, Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation to really move our technology sector forward. So I think those are the three big highlights of last year. Mm-hmm. Now, Sounds Carl, uh, Senator Wakai said, you know, we've passed more tech bills in this one year than we did in the previous 10 years. What exactly changed? I know Act 221 was a very controversial bill and um, took a lot of time to basically shake out, but it definitely seems like there was a lot more interest and a lot more activity. Um, we've And you have been following technology for such a long time. Was there a specific uh, change in the weather that uh, allowed all of this to happen? I don't know if it was a change in the weather, but certainly uh, we've got uh, dynamic community involvement now. And uh, I think uh, you're correct, Ryan, in that uh, the 221 era, you know, in the final stages from 2007, say, through 2009-10, there was, you know, downturn in the economy. There was a lot of rancor as to whether that policy was effective or not effective. And it did take a little while to shake out of the system. I think everybody agrees that uh, economy in Hawaii needs to have a strong technology component. Uh, we need we need to look for new areas of growth, and there's always an interest to find uh, good ways to support that effort. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, uh, Senator, you said that the uh, one of the I guess key accomplishments was the high growth uh, initiative, six million during the, the the first year of this sort of two year session. Uh, is there going to be another effort to get the the follow on funding, or is that something that's kind of already gar- guaranteed? Nothing in the legislature (laughs) is guaranteed. guaranteed. But thank goodness we have Carl there to carry the load. Um, And I believe he's going to be asking for another $6 million this year. I was nudging him to ask for $10 million. And if we get six, we'll be super happy. If you start at six, we get three. You're not going to be so happy. But uh, Mm -hmm. I I think there's a good chance that we will be able to get – um, a match from from last year, and keep in mind we're sitting on eight hundred and forty million dollar surplus this year. So, for all of us at the legislature, some of the decisions are a lot easier. Not to say that we're going to spend all that money, um, but when we have to make decisions between health and human services education and having to fund technology bills, I mean it's certainly a good plus to have that much money available to to really help us uh, revitalize the technology industry. We're talking to Senator Glenn Wakai, as well as Carl Fuchs and Len Higashi from the HTDC about the upcoming legislative session and where tech and science may play a part. If you've got a question or a comment or a suggestion about an area of policy focus, you can give us a call here at 941-3689 or toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, Len, you know, uh, Yuka Nagashima was a frequent guest on our show in uh, the previous your predecessor at the HTDC. So along with this uh, landmark year of 2013, 2014 is another uh, opportunity for transition. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me for what's lying ahead, what are your particular interests or passions or focuses for 2014? Sure. If you look at what's going around, uh, what's going on in the tech community, something that Carl alluded to earlier, there's a you know, groundswell of, of grassroots energy. And I think that's in large part to efforts uh, to Bert and Ryan helping 
get Uh-oh. this going. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you know, we just do a radio show. I mean, there's a lot of people that are there on are the ground doing, so doing stuff. In terms of transition, you know, it's about taking that to the next level. So now that we have engagement, I think we need to match that with opportunity. And we're looking for businesses to take off and really start mm-hmm. uh, start to drive the economy. You know, uh, Carl, one of the things that, uh, given that you got $6 million for the high growth, are there actual, uh, let's say, projects, programs that you've initiated using that $6 million? And, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of those. No, I appreciate the opportunity. And thanks to Senator Wakai for supporting you know, the initial $6 million ask. Uh, the governor... Uh, clearly recognizes the importance of this program, and he put into his supplemental budget a request for $6 million to continue this effort. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we've been able to focus on now with the High Growth Initiative, uh, people should realize that that $6 million is being partnered with the original $2 million for the Launch Akamai Venture Accelerator right, Program, right. and we received $13 million from the State Small Business Credit Initiative of the U.S. Department of Treasury. So we're actually mobilizing $20 million of capital to invest into Hawaii. And what we've been able to do is launch uh, in partnership with private partners. For example, Hank Rogers, we helped to get him uh, supported to get Blue Startups, the new venture accelerator here in the market, up and going. They've graduated two cohorts of 15 companies now total. Uh, We were able to capitalize a $10 million software fund that will be based in Maui but investing throughout the state. And we committed monies to startup capital, which is uh, a new fund that we'll be forming this year. Uh, this is the second fund that they've had. Uh, Tim Dick is the principal there. They've invested in Hawaii companies in the past, and we see them as very strong, credible investors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, uh, you know, those efforts have attracted now other institutional capital to come in and invest in our companies. So we have investors from Epic Ventures uh, investing in our companies. Ulupono Initiative is investing in our companies. Uh, we have Queens, um, HMSA. So we're attracting very high-quality investors to look at our companies. And as uh, Len alluded to, that is really energizing our entrepreneurs. They see the possibilities to get their businesses funded here in Hawaii, and we're seeing a lot of new ideas come out. Uh, startup weekends are well attended. Uh, there's other hackathons and other events. The Wetware Wednesdays you talked about, many people are starting to attend mm-hmm. these events. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and uh, Bert and I definitely appreciate Len's words, but I think that uh, it's, it is a, a large community effort, and it's just that uh, we appreciate the opportunity to have a platform here to focus on all this excellence and activity. You know, five years ago with Bite Marks Cafe, it might have been a little unusual and strange to be talking about apps and startups and stuff. And now even I, you know, can't go a week without receiving several press releases about new local apps new local businesses. Folks are willing to give it a shot, and I think it's because they see these positive indicators. Um, Senator Wakai, uh, you know, Carl mentioned a lot of some of the activities that we saw, but as you said, nothing is guaranteed. So from a lawmaker standpoint, even with a budget surplus, do you have any hard measures or any way to determine or demonstrate to your colleagues that this is worthwhile, that this is working, that it's something worth supporting going forward? Well, I, excuse me. I'm a big fan of of tech and 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 the high growth initiative, but I want to caution the public that we can't expect jobs to be created tomorrow. Just because we dropped six million dollars in the past few months doesn't mean that all of a sudden there is a whole bevy of job opportunities. It's like raising a child, right? We're going to have to take a couple of years, and that's where the public sometimes gets impatient, right? They want results now. But I have full faith in Carl and his staff that we make that investment now and maybe in two or three years we'll start seeing dozens if not more jobs just being uh, created. So going back to your question as to how do I sell my colleagues at the Capitol that this is a worthy investment, um, 
for I hate to say it, but it's some, almost a, a leap of faith that we have to trust that we make this investment, we're going to see the fruits of our labor. Right? We're putting the seeds into the ground, and the corn doesn't just pop up tomorrow, but it will be feeding us, so to speak, uh, well into the future. But we have to make that investment now. And I, I really believe in the high growth initiative. It's much more sound policy than tax credits were. And I want to Go back to what's the difference between today and yesteryears when we were struggling in the technology uh, sector. And it's really about the public seeing that their voice is is relevant. And I don't mean to uh, talk down to the, the accountants and the lawyers that were really driving technology initiatives in the past, but they've kind of been pushed to the side. And you're seeing people who, you know, live and thrive on this business business and in the technology sector driving the technology legislation these days. No longer are the lawyers and the accountants out there being at the forefront and telling everyone else behind them to follow them to the promised land. Mm -hmm. We have Carl Fuchs, who's going to be the Messiah for technology, and we're going to follow him instead. Well, you know, so speaking to the Messiah, you know, the... uh, (laughs) You know, we've been actually following Blue Startups, uh, and of course, that came out of the the lava fund of two million that you had initially. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the fact that initially there were supposed to be three accelerators, and uh, only Blue Startups is the one that has been uh, successful in, in actually churning out uh, companies. And for the most part, you know, we've had many of those companies come on the show, and we were very impressed, and they were very impressed with the whole Blue Startup program. What I want to ask you, Carl, is um, they had one cohort, two cohorts. They're looking for their third cohort. But there's some feeling on the street that they are not sure whether they are going to be, you know, let's say, supported financially on a going forward basis after the fourth cohort or, or fifth. Maybe can you say a comment of that? Is, is any monies from high growth earmarked to blue startups so that they can sustain themselves over the multi-year period? Sure, happy to answer that question. But first, I just want to touch on you know the metrics and uh, accountability. I think that's a very important part of the program. And part of the high-growth funds we have reserved to put to use to develop reports that we can measure the activity, we can report to the legislature, to the communities, you know, what is going on, where are the monies being deployed, and what are the impacts. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy to say that uh, the Hawaii Business Roundtable has really taken an interest now in the innovation economy. They are helping to spearhead a new report to look at the innovation sector in Hawaii. And they're working closely with the University of Hawaii, and we're helping to support that report. So we hope that this will be the first of many reports that come out and, and help document what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, with respect to Blue Startups, uh, the whole way we structured the LAVA program, if you remember, was we were prepared to support these efforts for the initial three-year runway to get them up and running because mm-hmm. we realized that the first year or two might be rough and they'll have to find their footing and develop a, a reputation and a brand. And so we have reserved funding out of the LAVA program to support Blue Startups for three years. And there's two components of that. So there's a LAVA program that supports the accelerator, but we've also put in investment capital that is investing in each of the companies mm-hmm. uh, going through that. But we have done that in partnership with private investors. And so they are also providing that three-year commitment uh, to Blue Startups. So we feel confident that they have the resources to continue for the next several years. 
And uh, it's their job to be able to demonstrate ability to find good companies, launch them, and get them funded. And if they do that, we think investors will continue to support their efforts. We're talking to Carl Fuchs and Len Higashi from HDDC, as well as Senator Glenn Wakai about the upcoming legislative session and policy priorities for the upcoming year. If you've got a thought or a question, we'd, of course, love to hear from you at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, um, Len, getting uh, back to kind of the idea of metrics and I, I, I am excited that more people are interested in being able to provide greater analysis of the success of these programs. But when Glenn mentioned jobs, I think that's what a lot of people are kind of hoping for or expecting from the innovation economy. But when it was, you know, setting up a tech park that Dell would locate an office here and immediately employ 30,000 people, how do you make people excited about programs that might create 10 little companies with five employees. I mean, where do you, how do you say that that is something that is worthwhile when, uh, when really job reports look at numbers that are much, much bigger than that? Sure, that's a good question. And I, I think it comes down to they all have to start someplace. And it's a statistics game. So when you're dealing with tech companies, you're going to take, you know, 10 at bats and you're going to have one home run. So Early stage uh, seed investment is about getting new opportunities and new ideas out of people's heads and really, you know, uh, starting to see where it can where it can grow to. Uh, once they get to a certain point, then we'll start to see follow-on funding, and that's when the company really starts to scale. That's where the jobs come into place. Um, rather than the old strategy of of recruiting companies into our city. You know, we're focused on building and growing our own companies because once the companies start here and grow here from people who want to live here, they tend to want to stay here. And that's a big difference. That's a big difference than before. One of the things that uh, seems to be, just looking from the outside, uh, a success is that a lot of the startups are getting kind of that kickstart through the Blue Startups Accelerator program. Uh, but what I'm also hearing is that in order for them to get follow-on funding, it's still a real challenge to get the – it's still sort of an angel round. But, you know, in order to get investors to uh, invest in them, I mean, the initial maybe is 25K. That 25K is not going to last very long, right? So where are they going to get the next 100K as an angel round? And is that is that opening up? No, so that's really what the uh, strategy for our investment program under the High Growth Initiative is. So if you look at uh, just the software sector in particular, so Blue Startups is the accelerator, and our partners in that are the Hawaii Angels, Mm -hmm, effectively. mm -hmm. So we've got the angel community supporting that. The next stage up, we've capitalized the Emblem Fund. This is the fund based in Maui, $10 million fund. So they're now prepared to step in and be a funder of the 100000 to, say, $500,000 round. Of course, they want partners in those rounds as well. Mm-hmm. And then Startup Capital, which is the next fund we've committed to, is a Series A investor. Mm-hmm. And they're prepared now to invest 500000 to, say, $3 million, uh, in the further development of these companies. So we are trying to strategically allocate our funds to those Hawaii-based investment funds that are prepared to support each stage of development for companies so that we can, uh, where possible, keep companies growing here in Hawaii. Are you are you getting indications from those uh, funders that companies that are coming out of the uh, accelerator program are companies that they want to put money into? Uh, we've got pretty strong uh, indications. So the first cohort uh, is really the one we have benchmarks for. Uh, eight companies went through there. Four of them uh, in aggregate have raised over $3 million to date. So, you know, think about it. Uh, their seed funding at Blue Startups was 20000 mm-hmm. 
Uh, so four of them, that's 80,000. So coming out, they've gotten three million. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty big step up. And the kind of investors going into them, so the Ulupono Initiative uh, is investing as Piero Omidyar's mm-hmm. investment entity mm-hmm. here. Epic Ventures, which is a very high-quality venture capital fund out of Utah, which has state pension fund monies, they've invested. So we're attracting very good, high-quality investors in the subsequent rounds. No, that's good. I want to continue some of that conversation about the, uh, the investment because uh, that's where kind of the, uh, the follow-on successes are going to come from. I want to hold that thought. We'll be right Right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Senator Glenn Wakai and Lynn Higashi and Carl Fuchs about tech policy in this year's legislative session. Will we see more programs like the High Growth Initiative? Uh, what about other specific bills, whether they range from finding a home for the HDDC oh, to, to aerial drones? Uh, we'd, of course, love to hear your questions as well at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. You're listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Let's try this as a variation on the American dream, all right? Why buy a home when you can rent? It'll help the housing market, too. Had it not been for them, the prices would have fallen further, and it would have taken longer to recover. I'm Kai Rizdal. The business of renting out foreclosures, also the numbers from Wall Street, next time on Marketplace. It's from APM. This evening at 6, following Bite Marks Cafe. On the next Applause in a Small Room, we'll take you to a slightly bigger room filled with applause, Windward Community College's Paliku Theater, for a special performance featuring Jeff Peterson, for an hour of Hawaiian slack key, classical, and jazz with Ben Verdery, Benny Chong, Jeff Linsky, and Nathan Aviao. That's Applause in a Small Room this Sunday at 4 on HPR2. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Senator Glenn Wakai, Carl Fuchs, and Len Higashi from the HDDC about the 2014 legislative session. And, of course, uh, you can give us a call here. The number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. You know, right before the break, we were talking about uh, some of the follow-on investments that companies could potentially get. And, you know, uh, I guess a lot of the companies are either attracting some interest and are getting some funds, but, you know, it's sort of the large uh, amounts that will help them get sustained over the period of time. What what I'm also seeing is that the energy accelerator, I don't know if you want to say a few words about the energy accelerator, but those companies seem to be uh, well on their way to expanding uh, in, a, in markets, you know, even beyond Hawaii. Uh, are you seeing sort of uh, success stories coming out of the energy accelerator? No, so the Energy Accelerator, I'm glad you brought that up. That is a pretty significant initiative we have in our own backyard here. Uh, you know, that's largely funded with federal funds, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a Hawaii-based operation, and they're targeting a sector very critical to Hawaii. Uh, you know, we are poised to be a leader in clean energy, and they are attracting innovative companies to help us achieve that mission. So there's twofold benefit. Uh, we're finding solutions to problems that we need solved to get to our clean energy objectives, and we're finding companies with innovative solutions that have become very profitable uh, businesses in their own right. Some of the investments, uh, investment funds that you've been talking about, are, are those companies available for them to, f- uh, let's say, invest in as well? Yeah, so today we've uh, primarily set up funds focused on software sector. So mm-hmm. obviously anybody with systems and software are going to be uh, candidates for funding. Uh, the Series A fund that I mentioned, Startup Capital, would be available to fund a broader range of uh, industries that may come out of the clean energy 
energy accelerator. And we are looking with some of our funds to set up a clean tech fund oh, for I Hawaii. Oh, I see, I see. So, so, so that would be, you, you asked about the next stage and uh-huh. where we would look to. So we do have an accelerator in the energy clean tech space. The next step for us would be to look for follow-on funding, try to mobilize a fund to capture that mm-hmm. opportunity. Senator Wakai, in fact, I mean, um, energy is always an area of focus for Hawaii policy. And to me, I think that the timing is pretty spectacular in terms of a convergence of interest in energy policy, which, of course, is pretty universal, and um, technology development. I mean, Google just acquired a thermostat maker for $3.2 billion dollars right, and the they just make a little device and a Nest, talking yeah. yeah they acquired Nest they make a talking smoke detector and an automatic smart home thermostat but they're but really in the big picture it's about smart grids and more efficient use of energy um, so perhaps for uh, 2014 I mean do you see more in that area of kind of the convergence of tech policy and energy policy c- coming up with great things for Hawaii I had uh, the energy director, Mark Glick, in my office this afternoon. We were talking about that as well. And you talk about smart grids, and it's kind of amazing to me how the Kauai Energy Cooperative, or uh, KICU, um, is far ahead of HECO in terms of getting all of their customers, not all of them, but many of their customers, <laughs> on smart meters. And, and HECO really needs to get on the ball and do the same um, here, because just like open data, if we can start measuring it, then we can adjust our policies accordingly. But right now, we don't have a clear understanding of, of usage, what time of day, what day of the week. Um, and I think that would be helpful. But, yeah, I mean, the energy front is very exciting for, for the technology uh, industry. But if I could allude back to what Len was talking about earlier about, and, and Ryan, you asked about the, the job creation segment and is five jobs compared to 100 jobs by a new store. Um, how do we get people excited? It's kind of ironic that this year we're talking about uh, increasing the minimum wage and how do we get people to to get to a better place and not earn $7 an hour, maybe earn $9 an hour. I mean, we're having that discussion while we could really focus on technology jobs, which are so far superior than the minimum wage, where you're going to make seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, mm-hmm. and that should be incentive enough for people to you know dangle the carrot in front of their face to say, let's go with technology. Let's not really focus on all of these minimum wage jobs that are, have been the backbone in the past with our labor-intensive economies of our past, and let's really embrace uh, technology. And energy is certainly a big facet of that uh, growth initiative. So, so Senator, are you saying that uh, there's perhaps uh, energy that's being spent, I'm, when I'm talking about, you know, I'm talking about people energy spent mm-hmm. on discussing minimum wage, when that, that sort of discussion could get swayed more toward the idea of, of technology jobs? Well, I think that should be one um, conversation. It shouldn't be two separate conversations, but we talk so much about those who are on the, I hate to say, on the bottom end of the salary scale when we could really get the community excited about high-paying um, tech jobs and using the muscle between your ears rather mm-hmm, than the muscle mm-hmm. that's attached to your bicep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, the uh, the tech jobs are probably uh, ones that a lot of our, our recent graduates are, are more inclined to be able to uh, come back to, and, and that's, some, that's kind of an important thing. You know, um, one of the things I wanted to try to get a little bit of a conversation going on is, uh, you know, the future of HTDC and MIC and the location of where the Manoa Innovation Center is going to, I mean, that, the, the lease is up. Uh, it's been something that we've been talking about over the years, and is it, it's kind of gotten to the point now where some decisions have to be made. Yeah, thank, thank you for bringing that up. Uh, it's a very important year for HTDC, and I think 
what I, what I wanted to point out right away is HTDC is not just a building and it's not just the Manoa Innovation Center, but we're talking really about support for tech throughout Hawaii. And and we, we spent a little bit of time talking about high growth initiative and all this activity that's going on right now. HTDC is busier than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've been hosting monthly monthly networking events. We've been running workshops every month. And now we're talking about we're requesting a little bit of support for some infrastructure in a place that makes a lot of sense. And, and that's really what our ask is this session, and that's, that's what that's all about. Does that point to a particular uh, place? Are we still looking at staying in Manoa? Or, uh, sure. We, we, our, our proposal in right now is CIP funds to build a facility in Kaka'ako. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, there's a lot of energy going on in Kaka'ako. There's a lot of creativity there's a lot of young talent looking to capitalize on all of that and bring together a world-class facility equipped with modern broadband. Uh, and, and I think that's exciting, and that's a place where, where it's needed. What is it that you're act- actually asking the legislature, and, and how, can, how can we support that, that ask? We're asking the legislature this session for funds, CIP funds, to construct a new facility. Mm-hmm. And, and being able to being able to support really we're we're hoping for our constituents to let their representatives know and understand what HTDC means to Hawaii and and that's you know that again it goes way beyond a facility but uh tech in Hawaii needs support and right now uh, HTDC is poised to lead the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we're talking to uh, Len Higashi and Carl Fuchs uh, and Senator Glenn Wakai about tech policy in this 2014 session. And if you have a comment or question, please give us a call. The number here is 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at one eight seven seven nine four one three six eight nine. 941 3689 We want to welcome Rob from Maui uh, to Bite Cafe. Thank you very much. I'm calling about a question involving technology. We're embarking on a project to bring technology to the visitor industry. And we've acquired land, and we're a couple of million dollars into it. But as everybody, we need a little bit more money. We're developing uh, interactive high-tech uh, displays, 47 of them, that will use cutting-edge technology such as holograms, lasers, uh, audioamtronics, all of these things to bring to life the story of Hawaii. And is there any opportunity for planning money or any of that uh, for us, even though we're well underway in our project? Now, that's probably something that, uh, from a, from an accelerator standpoint, would that be uh, applicable, or you know, for new companies that are interested in, let's say, you know, uh, as as Rob has described, a, a planning kind of uh, uh, a fund? Uh, what would you suggest, Carl? Yeah, well, there's a you know a variety of avenues, obviously. Um, at the Maui County level, I'm, I'm aware that Maui County has initiatives to help support technology companies uh, grow on Maui. Mm-hmm. So I would certainly encourage you to contact uh, MEDB in Maui and talk with them to see what resources they have available to help support that effort. Uh, moving to the investment side, uh, you know, talk with an accelerator. Uh, you can talk with Blue Startups, uh, our Emblem Fund, which is on Maui, and all those links are available on our site, hsdc.hawaii.gov. Mm-hmm. So feel free to look on our site, find the links to those funds, and you know you can get the conversation started. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. If there is a component with the tourism, you can ask also for the Hawaii Tourism Authority. They give grants out uh, 
for these types of projects, um, as well as the uh, creative media section of, of DBED, they give out grants as well for these types of of uh, initiatives. Yeah, right. Because uh, I was just talking to Georgia Skinner uh, earlier today, and uh, she's got a, a project called or program called uh, the um, Creative Labs uh, Accelerator. And there's, I think, there's always opportunity if you're ready to, let's say, demonstrate in in a prototype or pilot something and and rob if you, if this is something that you're doing where you're demonstrating uh whether it's 3D or holographic or whatever demonstrations of uh 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 things for the hotels i mean if you can come up with a pilot project i'm sure there's potentially some funding out there yeah uh-huh. so thanks for your call certainly just like with energy if you're going to intersect technology with tourism mm-hmm. i think you're going to find a lot of interest um so let's talk about some other specific i mean i was just l- looking through the the legislative website trying to see bills. There was actually a bill from 2013 that I think is carried over into this year that uh, caught my eye because with uh, this last year of a lot of coverage of government surveillance and all of that, that there was actually a bill introduced last year that I think carries over relating to the use and operation of drones. Now, I know that there have been viral videos of surf spots taken with drone cameras, and there's uh, been Amazon saying, we're going to someday deliver products with drones. And I was wondering, Glenn, I mean, is that something that the legislature is paying any attention to? We're paying attention to the facet about uh, privacy on that issue, because a lot of the drone issues are under federal jurisdiction. But as a state, we want to ensure that that drone is not hovering over the Lum residents and watching what Bert Lum is doing after he gets off the radio show. Oh, you don't want making, to know. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I probably don't want to know. Um, but uh, we make just making sure that uh, the people's privacy is protect, protected in whichever way the expansion of drones uh, go in Hawaii. We, we certainly welcome the technology that's involved and the jobs that are going to be involved, but at the same time, we need to balance to make sure that we're protecting our citizens mm-hmm. as well. So, and primarily right now, like you said, the, the drone program is sort of a federal uh, program, and, and I know uh, Jim Christofoli over at DBED is, is, has always been for a long time involved with the aerospace uh, segment, and uh, we'll probably try to get him on board. But I did talk to him uh, about a week ago, and he said, you know, it's so early in the stage of, of understanding what Hawaii's role in this whole drone activity is that, you know, they still have to wrap their brain around what is it that Hawaii's role is going to be playing, you know, with this partnership with Oregon and, and Alaska, right? So uh, it'll be interesting to, to maybe talk to him in about six months. Now, Carl, how about you? I mean, are there specific bills or pieces of legislation that uh, you have at the top of your priority list in terms of uh, shepherding and, and, and rallying support for this uh, upcoming session? Well, this year is, uh, you know, a second year of a biennium, mm-hmm. and we're mm-hmm. basically dealing with the supplemental budget. And the two big issues in the budget, uh, you know, Len spoke to our request to have funds available to build a new facility for HTDC. And uh, monies were allocated two years ago to do the planning and design, and that's been going on. And I think there's a real exciting opportunity now to to take advantage of all the the momentum that has developed over the last several years to to really cement an innovation sector here uh, with an, an HTDC headquarters. Uh, then also the $6 million for our, the high-growth initiative to continue the investment programs and, and look at different areas. Uh, you know, you looked at, you asked about um, new accelerator initiatives. So we are, you know, partnering with Georgia Skinner and the creative sector 
uh, as they develop the Creative Labs program, we're trying to match that up with an accelerator program that can take those companies and then accelerate them and find investment capital for them. We've got a very strong entrepreneur based on the Big Island who has a, a great plan and, a, and a ability to raise capital. We're trying to work with him to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Now, you know, when you, um, uh, Len, when you mentioned the CIP funds, <clears throat> I guess from a timing standpoint, realistically, if you were successful at getting the funds appropriated, uh, when would you see groundbreaking take place? Sure, that's that's a little difficult to forecast. It would take a couple years to construct the facility, of course. Mm-hmm. But we we would, you know, where we've done the site selection, we have partners, uh, we're ready to go. So for the interim period, you're still okay at at MIC. Nobody's going to boot you out, and you're going to be homeless for like the next <laughs> uh, year or so before the building gets built. As Senator said earlier, there's no guarantees, mm. but we're in, we're in negotiation. Good. We're working on working on that right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. And um, quickly, Senator Wakai, uh, you know, as cha- again as chairman of the Technology and Arts Committee, uh, is there um, some signature legislation or even just uh, your personal pet? Uh, fun legislation that uh, you want to you want us to keep an eye out for. Well, one thing that we tried to embark on last year, which didn't get a lot of traction, was video conferencing mm-hmm. of our public hearings. Oh it, yes, it goes back to you know just hearing from the rank and file folks, not just on Oahu, but like your caller from Maui. We want to hear people from the Big Island as well as Kauai. So we're going to take another stab at video conferencing our legislative hearings. It's 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 crazy that we expect people from Puna to come all the way over here to testify on bills that affect their life there on the Big Island. So I encourage your listeners to uh, really engage us, and it's just going to be the Education Committee as well as the Technology Committee for um, their hearings. But please, um, we're going to make this available and and take part in, in especially you neighbor island folks, take part in, in the, us as we develop our policies. And, and if we don't get a lot of traction this year, I don't know how many more times we're going to try to, to do this, but it makes sense that we utilize technology in the creation of policy here in Hawaii. Now, Absolutely. in 2013, there was, a, there was a bill that was actually being passed, but is, in 2014, is there another bill for this video conferencing? Nope, that uh, bill is still alive, uh-huh. and we kind of put that on hold only because the response last year was very underwhelming, mm-hmm. and we thought, okay, well, maybe we're kind of ahead of the curve here. So when we feel that the people want to engage us on a public policy discussion through video conferencing, then I think we'll start looking at dumping money into expanding the program. So I think, uh, you know, I was talking to Senator uh, Jill Takuda, and and, uh, she's ready to sort of announce when they can uh, have some of these video conferencing. So when that happens, I think it's just a matter of people understanding what kinds of, what software, what computer, what, you know, how can they sort of dial in and and get access. So I think uh, we'll help get the word out with that. We need you. Sounds good. So, um, well, thanks, everybody, for joining us. And we want to, you know, we'll, we'll definitely put up some of the show links uh, on our show notes uh, later on. So Senator Glenn Wakai, he's the chairman of the Senate Tech and Arts Committee. And, of course, Len Higashi is the interim executive director over <coughs> over at the High Tech Development Corporation. And, of course, Carl Fuchs is the uh, the head guy over at the Hawaii Strategic Development Corporation and the and the Messiah. The Messiah. The Messiah. Tech company. <laughs> we want to thank you all for joining us today. Thanks, thanks and for we us. look for your support. Aloha. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week. We'll talk about Bitcoin and new cryptocurrencies. And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, email us at feedback at bitemarkscafe.org. And of course, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at Bite Marks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. 
Our engineer is David Chong, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslovitz. And we leave you with our song pick of, of this week. It's a Philadelphia band called War on Drugs and a song called Red Eyes. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.